Ever wonder what separates the haves from the have-nots? The talkers from the walkers? The leaders from the followers? Come along with host Nikki Moore as she sets out on an adventure, tapping into the experiences and real-life stories of 100 CEOs. Find out how they think, what they eat, when they sleep, everything that goes into the magic of making a CEO. That's right. Nikki's cracking the CEO code. In this series, we'll discover exactly what it takes to go from good to great. So Max, Max Myrick, uh, program di- manager, director, DC office of cable, television, film, music, and entertainment. I did it. <laughs> Is that it? Did I get it? OCTFME, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always have to say the acronym in my head before I say it, you know, to you. So I am so absolutely pleased that you have agreed to talk with me. I love you. You are one of my favorite people in life. And you are one of the most accomplished people that I, I know personally. I think that your career spans over four decades, right? Yeah. You started in radio. Let me make sure I'm on my on my stick. 1977. That's when I right? started professionally. Yes. And you were 14. No, I was. Oh. I was 19, I think. I started. Okay. I started at 14 in radio. You started at 14. I knew. I knew 14 was in the equation. Yeah. That so was you awesome. started at 14. 1977, you became a professional, and you your first radio uh, station was what? It was WKLR in Toledo, Ohio, which is where I grew up. It was a station I I grew up listening to. Uh, it was the station I started at when I was in high school. Okay, so you did. You have raised. You built. Ready, literally built radio stations across the country, uh, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, and most recently, D.C. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, in itself is impressive. But to add to your repertoire of all the fly things, to add to that, all the fly things that you already do, you are a talent buyer, you've won multiple awards, you are a show producer and a radio executive. I, I, I want to dig in. I want to unpack all of that. But before we do all of that, those are the things that you do. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is who is Max? I'm just a guy who uh, enjoys what he does and and I'm grateful to be able to still do it after all this time. I mean, it's been 45 years and um, I've been uh, lucky to have worked with some incredible people, have some great mentors. Uh, some great experiences, built some great brands, and 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 I try to be fair to people, and uh, do the right thing, and have some fun, and uh, you know, I, I love my kids <laughs> and my friends, and uh, I'm just trying to live my best life out here. Speaking of your kids, that's one of the questions. So I I might as well segue to that now. So. How um, you have four children, correct? Four grown people. Four, four well, four, four. Yes, you you're a father to four. Yes, two boys, uh, two, two men. So two, two men, two you women. you were married. You raised 
four children yeah. while doing all the things that you were doing. And what I want to know is how did your work, or if it impacted at all, how did your work impact their childhood? Well, you know, it was difficult uh, because I was gone a lot. So I didn't get to spend the time that I would like to have spent, but I was yeah. trying to give them the things that I thought they would need. And so, you know, everything has a cost, but they turned out to be great people, you know, and they got great, great educations. And, you know, I'm a grandfather and one daughter's an architect and one son's a IT person. The other one is a marketing person. The other one is, lives in Dallas and she works for General Motors. So, you know, you know, they, they, they turned out good people. They still love me. I still, you know, you can't ask them. Yeah, some Built good humans. Good humans. You know, they come to see me every now and then, and I'm always happy to see them. And they tell me things that I did that I couldn't remember, which is always fun. I'm like, I did. And I, <laughs> okay. I was just out there trying to get it, you know. He was out there trying to get it. You got it, too. If you could describe your leadership style using existing brands, such as McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, who would you be? Well, whatever is the uh, premium brand. That's <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's. That's McDonald's. You're the originator of this stuff. Well, yeah, in a lot of respects. Um, I mean, I just try to find great people and then uh, let them do their job. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, keep them from going, you know, bumping into the wall. Keep them. But, you know, people want to do the right thing. And if you let, if you give them room to do the right thing, they will. They'll, they'll, they'll exceed your expectations. And you have to acknowledge that. I mean, all the shows that we have on DC radio, they're, I mean, they're excellent, all of them. Now, we don't have one bad show. And these yeah. are people who are doing this out of passion. But, you know, I'm like, look, that's what you want to do. Just don't do this. <laughs> But just do, and they're thriving. I mean, I love these shows. I love them too, and I love you. And I love, like, when I first met you, how excited I was, and how even and you you've been consistent. You've been a constant. Like, I've never seen you ruffled. I've never seen you frazzled. I've never seen you lose your cool or anything. And I think that as a leader, that's one of the things, the emotional intelligence is one of the things that I work hard to master. So watching that, how have you managed to maintain decorum over, four, I guess, over 40 years? And what would you say is the magic formula for that? I don't know if there's a magic formula. I have, uh, this is just my personality. Hmm. You know, I was in the Marine Corps and being a in the Marines, you have to be you you have to be able to hold hold your uh, yeah. emotions or you'll get yourself killed. And I've been in situations where I've had to restrain myself and not get killed. So oh, those are life lessons I learned, yeah. you know, that uh, that I've taken taken with me. But I just think um Getting upset is, does not resolve the problem. If there is a problem, it just 
it confuses the problem. We have to assess the situation and determine what's the best course of action. And sometimes it's just not something you can do anything about. You have to look at things realistically and for what they are and then try to find a solution. You know, yeah. people don't like to be upset, but if they are, people want to be listened to and understood. So you have to take time to listen and understand. Now, if, they're, if, they, if it can't be resolved that way, then you have to take other measures, but you don't even have to be uh, loud about that. I don't, I just, I don't know. I had to, I had to learn that. Well, you're already in charge. It's no yeah. point yelling. Yeah, yeah well, nobody wants to be yelled at. They already, most of the time when people make mistakes or something, they already feel bad enough, you know, and it doesn't necessarily require you to uh, pile on to it. It's just yeah. acknowledge it. If it needs to be addressed, address it, and then move on. Yeah. People, you know, just under, just just looking at things the way they are, and then, like I said, this this is pretty much this is the way I am. All this, this is just the way I am. You've seen a lot of change over uh, four decades in radio and media and entertainment. Like, which which have you noticed? to most vastly impact the industry? When they deregulated radio in 1996 under Bill Clinton, and they let these big companies buy up all the radio stations, that pretty mm -hmm. much started the demise of radio in terms of its impact and its diversity. Because mm -hmm. uh, all the stations are owned by, by especially in black radio, all the stations are owned by three or four companies. Mm -hmm. And then all of those uh, stations in within those companies are pretty much programmed and controlled by one person. And mm -hmm. then there are other people who influence that person. And then there are other people who influence that person, the other people who influence that person. And so uh -huh. it's not a benefit for the listeners. Uh, and you, you miss so much. There are mm -hmm. very, very few independent stations left. HUR in Washington is one great example. They still mm -hmm. are an independently owned radio station and they can do whatever they want to do. They still have news and they're still in the community. And that's why they're, you know, one of the top states. They're like the number two station or number one station in Washington, D.C. Is that but, right? Yeah. I mean, there are other stations that are number one, like the one I had in Chicago, uh, V103, they're number V103. one. V103. Mm -hmm. um, and ALR in Atlanta is still number one. Uh, a lot of the brands that I built are still doing well. Uh, and, and they have gone on to become huge, huge and hugely famous brands. Yeah, which they're, is also they're all impressive. Yeah, they're all good. They, uh, even the uh, Real Jazz Channel at XM Satellite Radio is the most listened to jazz station in the country. Wow. It's still, awesome. still turning right along. So I'm very proud of those, uh, those brands. But uh, but overall, though, you can go, you used to be able to go to a city and that station would sound like that city, right? You go to Chicago, yeah. Yeah. Like Chicago. you go to D.C. and man, what, you know, D.C. was do, sounded like D.C., Detroit, Memphis, was, you know, everybody sounded like their city. Now you can go to any city in the country, except for where there's independent stations. And you don't know what city you're in. They all sound the same. They all have the same programming. They all have the same syndication programming. Wow. Steve Harvey or or uh, 
who else is left? Ricky Smiley. D.L. Hughley. D.L. Hughley in some cases. Keith Sweat. And uh, now L.B. Sewell. Syndicated show? Yeah, he is a, he's on premiere. Yeah, he's on the... Uh, I didn't know um, that. Yeah, I heard stations, and then Albie Shore is on the radio Urban One station, Urban whatever they're called now. Really? Yeah, and oh. then uh, uh, I don't know who's on Cumulus, but there's there's only only four companies that control wow. all all the black radio. So that single act has uh, has impacted black radio specifically. In New York City, a city that big, they have basically one black radio station. They have BLS, which is the heritage station, and then they have a couple of hip-hop stations. That's it for New York City. Now, a city like Atlanta, which is market number eight, I think, they have about 12 black radio stations. Okay. Okay. You know... I didn't know that. This is you. You are like a walking historian. What do you love most about what you do, Max? Well, I, I just like uh, I love putting people together. I love uh, seeing the impact of uh, what they do on these stations. I mean, radio stations used to be before uh, you know all these other additional options that we have now today uh the personalities when radio first started most markets only had one they played all the music for the whole family so mm-hmm. everybody was engaged and those guys were bigger that's than right. the artists that's right they were like star stars you know there's a few of them i don't think you have that today you might have one here in dc and that's donnie simpson he's a real star he's, he's a real, like really star, real star. star you know we and had, i had the privilege to work with him yeah. And uh, you remember Timmy, Timmy Hall. I was managing Timmy, and I remember being so excited to meet Donnie Simpson, the Green Eyed Bandit, you right. know. And he is just as pleasant in person as he is on the radio. He's such a cool, down to earth cat. Yeah, I love it. He's from Detroit. He started in high school, too. Uh-huh. And he has a twin brother. Yeah, his twin brother and his brother. He has a twin brother. His brother Calvin used to have one of the two black record distributorships in the country, Simpsons. That's right. I remember that. I remember then, hearing that. And then they had, they had, had the, he had the, Calvin had the, Calvin had the distributorship. And then his family, Simpsons, had the record store and the one stop. That's that right. That serviced the retailers. And then Donnie it's was. Only natural he should go on to become one of the biggest names in the radio. Yeah, Donnie was on, on the radio in high school. Donnie the love bug Simpson. I remember hearing that. That's right. That's right. You bringing it back, back. That's when it, it was. Oh. When, that's when AM was king. <laughs> Is that right? AM was king. There was a time. Yeah, yeah. Was, she, WAL was on AM. You know that's what? Right. FM, FM, it really just came into being in the late in the late seventies. The yeah, mid. Kathy Hughes. Did she start? She started on AM. OL. Fourteen fifty. WOL. Yeah, AM was king. Wow! You know, when I grew up, I was I, Toledo is close to Detroit, which yeah. means it's close to Canada. Yeah, we can listen to Detroit radio, and we can listen to Canadian radio. We didn't have black radio in Toledo until 1968, and then it, that only happened because 
this guy owned a record store and he bartered time on Saturdays and he bought a block of time and he broadcast from his record store. And then the record, the radio station had an FM that they weren't really doing anything with. And they were getting so much, making so much money and getting so much attention from this Clark's record shop that they decided to go with a format. So then all the DJs in Detroit that couldn't get on JLB, they started coming down to Toledo and they created a radio station. But when I was growing up prior to that, I listened to Canadian radio, CKLW. I remember every, I remember every jock that was on that radio station by name and Listen, by show. To this I believe you. Listen. We had uh, Tom Shannon in the morning. We had the great Johnny Williams in middays. And I had a chance to work with Johnny Williams at, at uh, XM. We had uh, Pat Holiday. We had uh, Brother Bill Gable. And we had Ted Richards, Teddy Bear Richards. That was the whole lineup. It was bigger. Whole they, were, and they were all white. But we didn't wow. know. They were, we didn't know they were white because, because they, they sounded hip. They sounded hip. They played all this black music. One of them's name was Brother Bill Gable, first of all. And they were right. because they were across the river from Detroit. Right. They, they played all, mostly black music. Yeah. So we didn't. When I first met Ted Richards, I was shocked. He looked like Clint Eastwood. And and back then, you could listen to somebody for years on real radio and And not know what they look like. Not know what they look like. He he came like a carnival fair or something. He was like, you know, they he came down and 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 I was I was I just stared at. I was in shock, but I love those guys. They were great. And then the guys that I uh, when they put WKLR on, those guys spoke my language. Yeah. Not only did they speak my language, but they played my music and I could see them and they looked like me, you know, because mm-hmm. they were in the community. They were the in the community. So, yeah. you know, we, we, that impact, uh, that impacted me. I wanted to do that, you know, and then over time, I wanted to do it for different reasons because I saw the impact. We used to do something in Chicago, we created an event called Unity Day. And what it, what it started out as No Crime Day. And it started out with like 600 people and it grew to like 6,500 people. Then we made it, turn it into unity day. And it was like a day, Labor Day weekend in uh, Washington Park. Um, And we'd have like the biggest acts in the world. Free. Earth, Wind and Fire. Tina Marie. uh, It got huge, right? It was a million people. What? A million people every year. No, no crime. The crime stopped in the city. No crime, no arrests, no nothing. And we put Mm. put that message out. It was just beautiful. Every year. No arrests? Nothing. Wow. No crime, no nothing. A million people. Are they still doing that? No. I went when Clear Channel bought it and iHeart bought it. They shut it down because they wanted to take it and put it in an arena or something. But we made money on it. You know, we, we did a good deed. We paid for the event. And we made money because we're a business. But but the b- most important thing about that was that we sent this message that we should come together in peace. And we could. And we did it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? 
And so it was, it's things like that, that, you know, drove me to continue. So that leads me to another question. Who were your mentors and role models throughout your four decades long career? I've had many. I think the first one was, uh, you know, because I've been fired many times <laughs> in this business. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't necessarily And that tends to happen as a leader, you know. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily my fault. <laughs> no. Sometimes back in the day, they bring a new person in and the new person would bring his own people in. And then yeah. you you weren't on his team. You had to go. It's harder for them to do that now because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. But yeah. They, they used to do that all the time. So, you know, it's just sometimes it was just like that. Like the first time I got fired, fired in radio, let's see, what was it? Uh, oh, was that KLR? They fired me. Uh, they After were, you built the station? Oh, I didn't build that station. That's the one. Oh, I okay. But because they fired me, I built a station. Ah, uh, what happened? That. That's some Steve Jobs stuff. They, they fired me. And then I took a job working as a at a record store mm. and at a U-Haul because I had to let the record store wasn't paying me enough. So <laughs> you had to make ends meet. <laughs> I, make it, I had to make it work. So, so I, um, I, what did I do? Oh, yeah. This is before I got married. So this, so I, so I was saving my money and, um, one of the guys that turned out to be my mentor, Steve Harris, had moved to te- Texas, to Houston, to a station called Love 94. And he took some people with him. And I said, well, in my mind, my ego was saying, well, if they can hire them, they're going to hire me. So I'm going to save my money. I'm going to go down to Houston and get them to hire me. That's what I, That was my mindset. Yeah. So I was saving up my money. They fired me at, at KLR, saving up my money. And then I got a call from the wife of one of our clients who asked me if I wanted, would be interested in, in talking to this guy, Paul Ploner, about starting another radio station. Because by then, KLR had, uh, was getting ready to be uh, uh, taken off the air. Because mm. they were going to take, because they, by then they made JLB at FM in Detroit. And they were, and they figured the JLB signal could come down. They were going to put KLR on, on their country AM. So then I went and talked to the guy. I said, I'm really not interested. I'm getting ready to go to Houston. And he said, well, why don't you take this job? Give me three months. If it doesn't work out, I will uh, pay your way to Houston. And I'm going to pay you. Two hundred dollars a week, or two fifty? No, two dollars. Two. This is a. This is a nineteen. I think it was nineteen eighty. So you know, two hundred dollars a week. You know, so. Look at them I was making eighty-five dollars every two weeks when I was at the radio station at KLR. So. <laughs> so that was a big come up. And I came up. So I called KLR and I and I asked them what they were going to do with their music library. They said, uh, you can come and get them. So I went and got my car. What? 
I got all. Why didn't they want it? Because they decided they weren't going to be in the black radio business anymore. They didn't need them. So I went and got all those records, loaded them up in my car, drove over the line to Michigan where this actual building was. It was like mm-hmm. in the middle of a cornfield out in right over the line in Temperance, Michigan, in a house. So I brought all those records in there. And then I put I put the radio station on. We started, you know, part-time with the music. And then we had religious programming until we could get some clients. And then we just went 24 hours with it. But that was my first station that I put on. And that was a result of being fired. You actually, impressively, you raised the very first satellite radio station. And that is a piece in history. That is. It happened in, I believe, 1989. It was, I thought it was 90-something. It was 89? No, I think it was okay. 89. It was down yeah, in, no. it was in Rich. it was in the Richmond market. Richmond, Virginia. Right. Yeah, we, we had, this is, you know, XM Satellite Radio didn't go on the air until 2001 or 2002, really. 2001. Yeah, it didn't go on until 2001. It was it was after it was uh right around 9-11, somewhere in there. So uh, you know, they the technology they had to figure it out because they were trying to figure out like where, where HD is now, they were trying to figure out how to make that sideband because they have that in Europe and they were gonna that, that was gonna be the digital radio. Right. But they couldn't figure out how to put it in at that time, they couldn't figure out how to put it in there without interfering with other people's signals. But now they've got that refined. But in 1989, the reason we did that was because we had a station on in Petersburg at 99.3. That was the only black FM in the Richmond market. Then another station came on to compete with them. But after the other station came on, another station came on in Spotsylvania, Virginia, on 99.3. And it was playing... The new age music, way that Yanni and all that Winston whale music, and yeah. uh, and so <laughs> sound of the whales. <laughs> so as a, as a musicologist, which is one of the terms that you are referred to uh, uh, as. Max Myrick is a musicologist, which was new to me. I had to look that up because I was like, "Is that a word?" They coined that. So. As a musicologist, you profess to enjoy just about all genres of music. Yes, right? except for whale music. Except for <laughs> <laughs> But let me finish doing this thing. So what happened was, so the whale music was seeping into our signal in Richmond, confusing people. So we had to do something well, about it. Why would it confuse anybody? Because you could, you could hear, you could hear, uh, Anita Baker, <laughs> then you heard the, the whale music on over top of Anita. It was confusing. So we we uh we bought, we bought this moment. <laughs> we bought the station in Spotsylvania. Uh-huh. Right? And that's yeah. a whole other story. When I saw the Confederate soldiers marching in the backyard, but that's a whole other story. What happened was when we bought the station in Spotsylvania, the station was in a house. So when we went, we went up to look at the station, we were standing in the studio and there were Confederate soldiers marching through the backyard, like a whole regiment. This is in Spotsylvania, Virginia. But what we didn't know 
was they were doing a Civil War reenactment. Oh, yeah, because they do that. They do that. And you know where else they do it? In St. Mary's County, right here. They do it. Yeah, but but not knowing that. If it was freaking out. You freaked freaked out. I freaked out. I was like, (laughs) I stepped into the the, the twilight zone. What happened? So, So after we saw the Confederate soldiers and realized that we were still in the same year, we bought the station. <laughs> well, you think that would have happened the sale? <laughs> in most cases. Well, would you would you have refused to acquire it if, if it turns out they were real Confederate soldiers? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. We're going to learn how we do things down here. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. No, we, so we bought the station. We bought the station. And then we took the signal from Petersburg, we uplinked it in Richmond to a satellite. And we set it up in the air. Then we put a, a, a dish. That's when you had them big giant dishes. Yeah. Yeah. At, in Spotsylvania, we put a dish in uh, Petersburg. And we sent the signal back to the dish from the satellite and rebroadcast them on our antennas, which gave us an even bigger signal. Because before we just had Petersburg and and most of Richmond. Now we had Northern Virginia all the way down to almost North Carolina. Wow. Like a super station. And that was the first satellite radio station in the United States. Wow. It was so clear, too. It It was was so clear. It was clearer than typically. Oh yeah, it was so, so typically cool. what's the range with band like the bandwidth with um regular uh, or you know conventional radio like WHUR? What's the range? Well, it depends on the 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 signal. It depends on the wattage. So there's a class A, B, and C. So a class A typically is uh maybe five to ten thousand watts, somewhere twenty thousand. A B is fifty thousand, and a C is a hundred thousand watts. There are not a lot of those. There's there's very few, and there's a D too. There's there's a two hundred thousand water, but there's not. There may be two of those. Those are old old. Two hundred thousand watts goes how far? Everywhere, states. Huh? Yeah, there's one in. Uh, I think there's one in Richmond. It's hmm. it's just it was a yeah it was a rock station back there when nobody cared about X, FM. There's one in there's a there's a C in um, Columbia, South Carolina called the big dm it covers almost the entire state of south carolina it's huge so it depends on the the, the, the amount of wattage you have but that that satellite radio station gave us made basically made us a c because it covered because almost the, the entire state of virginia yeah and we were and we were uh, we had plans on buying some stations in uh, norfolk we were going to buy those cluster in norfolk and we were going to put them on our satellite and and push our signal out there too, so we would add the entire state of Virginia. But we didn't we didn't go that far. That company went out of business. Uh, really? Yeah, I, you know, just couldn't afford it. You know, that's that's another. You know, that happened a lot. If I if I took you down the road in my career, I like I, I told you I got fired and then I got hired. And then I went to <laughs> then I then I went and then I went to Cincinnati and did mornings, and then that station got. And chapter what do you mean, good mornings? I was on the air. I was the morning guy. Oh, okay, okay. 
that that makes sense now because like so that's how you ended up going from behind the scenes to being on the on the air i was on the air first oh okay so before you started being program managers or directors you yeah. raising building radio stations you were a job yeah i was a job okay and, uh-huh. and a lot of times i was a jock and running the radio station at the same time doing most, it all. yeah doing uh, most of the time i was it was only uh in Chicago and at HUR and now that I haven't been, been doing both, but everywhere else I've done both. Okay. Yeah. I've, right. I've always been on the air. I don't like being on the air. I'm Why? not Because there's some people that are good at it. I, I just don't you think you're I'm not that good at it. What, what, what makes you say so? Because yeah, I, because I work with people who are much better than I, I know what, the, what, the, you know, I'm Okay. <laughs> But there's people that are great at it. And I like me, like you. There you go. So, <laughs> so speaking of being going great, you know, the, the object of this is I'm trying to discover and I'm talking to all the amazing leaders who have impacted our world in some form or another. And you, Max Myrick, are one of those people in radio. And I wanted to know from you. What comes to mind when you hear the term CEO? Uh, I guess somebody who oversees an organization. I mean, it's chief executive officer. So somebody who's responsible for his or her operation or his or his or her brand or, you know, his, her, or their. Um, you know, they, they, they are just responsible for the success of the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. you're right. So, what impact, in your opinion, has the rise of short form content like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and the like? What what impact do you feel like they have had on the work that you do? Well, I think uh, it's given it's giving given brands more opportunity for engagement with their audiences. Some people still have their heads stuck in the sand mm-hmm. and I have not embraced it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when in the, you know, I, cause I keep going with the technology over all these years as it changes, I change and then I embrace whatever's next. Yeah. Uh, and you people, do an amazing job on your social accounts, by the way. I, I noticed you kind of, you get kind of good at it. Well, I've been, I've been playing with it since 2008 you are really good. I mean, the the quality of the content is very engaging. It's it it always makes me stop. You know, the object when you're uh, social, when you're doing content and branding and planning content strategies, the object is to make people stop the stroll, right? So yeah. if I'm scrolling through, I stop right. on your stuff every time. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think you every have to have, you have to have. Uh... You know, people are very visual now. They are. So, so you have to pay attention to what the graphic is. And then you have to be able to word it in a way that gets people's attention to, to explore more. And, 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 and you only have maybe three or four lines before the break to get that message across. That's Even right. though there's more, more information, you just want the information, the pertinent information above the break to encourage them to click down and read some more. So that that all of these things, I mean, it's just more options for people. 
it's, it's more options for, and for radio and for, to engage with their audience because now you can, you know, the, the personalities can interact directly with their audience. They can push out whatever imaging or message about themselves that they want. They, you know, and people begin to feel like they know them. And that's a form of engagement. And, you know, that may attract them to listen to them or, you know, it's, you you have to be wherever the audience is. It's because it's just not going to be radio anymore because they listened, you know, you want them to associate you and your brand with in as in many places as possible. And so all of these little IG and TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and whatever else is out there. Gives Do you remember the story I told you when I first came to DC radio, I was looking for a new home for my show, Just Jokes Radio. And um, I had talked to these people who had a, a, did an online radio station right around the corner, not far from where you are, where yeah. uh, the radio station is. And the guy was selling, he was selling time slots and he wanted, he, he did not want me to do my show anywhere but there. Uh-huh. He said I would be competing against myself. I said, that doesn't make sense because if I'm here and I'm here and I'm over there, all of those people are watching me. Right. So that speaks to what you just said. And I didn't know anything at that time about radio. I didn't know a lot. I was new. It was 2013 when I was 12 or 13 when I was 12 when I started. Uh-huh. And I was just throwing stuff at it. You know, the show, remember, the show was kind of a mess. You yeah. said, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know we I mean? were all talking over each other. Oh, it was a mess. But it was fun. <clears throat> and we changed the format to Backstage Beyond the Last, which was much, much better. <laughs> I'm glad that happened. <laughs> yes, at your best. <laughs> it happened, but it was good. So let me ask you this. What is the craziest interaction that you've had with artists or talent at, you know, any of the stations or studios over your decades-long career? And I know there's been some stuff. Been so spill the tea, please. There's been many. I mean, I've had to put my hands on some artists. <laughs> You laid hands on somebody? I had to put my hands on them. He's tall, huh? Tell me about that. What happened? Well, I just, just to say, the artist came, we flew them in, and they were throwing a temper tantrum, and they didn't want to perform at the last minute, and I had to persuade them. <laughs> this gospel artist. <laughs> to that it was going to to get on that damn stage right now, amen. Amen. <laughs> so he did. Did they sing for the Lord? He sang. I don't know who he's singing for. <laughs> I had one guy, I was in South That's Carolina. Funny. I had a sales. Sometimes, you know, sometimes things are what they seem. So right. I was in, in, uh, South South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. I was working at a station down there, and the salesmen, you know, salespeople are always trying to make a sale, mm-hmm. and they're doing whatever they think they're going to do, 
they have to do to get to close that sale. So our salesperson, this white guy, he went to the to a car dealer and convinced him to have a 4th of July sale. And he convinced the car dealer to give away chicken and watermelon if you test drove a car. And they wanted he wanted us to advertise that on the on the air. And he couldn't understand what the problem was. He sincerely did not understand. He was oblivious to it. He was oblivious. Chicken he like, and watermelon. I thought black people drive this car. He said, I thought <laughs> he said, I thought black the crew in here cracking up, Max. <laughs> he said, I thought black people, I like thought black people like chicken and watermelon. I said, we, we do, do, we do. But we can't say that on the air. And I explained to him why. He still was confused. But I said, why don't we, because we want to sell, why don't we repackage this as a holiday, something we did. So it didn't sound like, we didn't say what was in the in the package. We just said there was. They still gave away chicken and watermelon? Huh? They still did give away the chicken and watermelon. Huh? Wow. Yeah. I went That's down there. I went down there to investigate and have me some chicken. You went down to investigate, and it was it was literal chicken and watermelon. <laughs> yes, I, and I had and I had some chicken and watermelon that day myself. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want it on the air. <laughs> but, you know, I, but I didn't I didn't like say hey that's crazy and racist. I just said let's try to figure out how to make this work More because crazy. he was he was sincerely just. He what? He was like what? So I mean, there was there's so many stuff. I don't just I don't know. I can't think of any more right off the top of my head. That one always stuck with me for some reason. I imagine it it would. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, what have been some of the biggest biggest challenges that you faced throughout your career? Like, and 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 how how did you overcome them? Well, I mean, I'm getting fired is a big <laughs> been a big challenge. Because you got to find yeah, yeah, but that don't require leadership. <laughs> well, sometimes I went into radio stations that were already up and I had to change them. Right, they were like yeah. white stations, and then I had to go fire fire all the people and bring them. Mm -hmm. Like in Greenville, it was a white station. South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina. It was a white station. They they were losing. And I had to go in and fire all the white people, except for two. In Green, and the station wasn't even in Greenville; it was in Easley, where, where Jesse Jackson is from. It's oh, in the foothills of the Piedmont Mountains. Yeah. A guy told me he didn't like. Guy, I had a house there. I was trying to find a place to live, and he said he didn't mind renting to me, but he didn't like no race mixing. <laughs> so I said. Uh, I wouldn't even want to be in that house. Yeah, I, I, I did not get that yeah, house. No, I, I don't think this is the house for me after all, sir. Yeah, I just, I was like, nah. I don't. Well, don't thank you, though, no sir. Race no race mix. So, wow. so then I had to, and our AM was like a fire and brimstone, you know, American mm -hmm. Gothic. That, picture, yeah. that was the couple that did the, the show. <laughs> For the fire and brimstones power <laughs> in the studio next oh. to us, playing the black music. And then in behind the station, which was in a house on a hill, was a quarry. 
Wow. So the first week, and on Thursday, they blasted. But we didn't know that. So on Thursday of that week that we put the black music on, the whole building was like, <sighs> so we thought. You thought they were trying to kill you? <laughs> we thought they were blowing up the damn building because they were mad. We thought fire and brimstone had called them. It was crazy in there. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, just all kinds of I worked in I worked in cornfields. I worked in a swamp in Louisiana one time. That that's a whole another experience, Shreveport, Louisiana. That's like going back in twenty years. Mm. It's just, today, even today, huh? I don't know. I I left there for the last time in nineteen eighty eight and never went back. But mm. it was uh, it was like being in, this. <laughs> no, because it's not yeah. really. It's in Louisiana, but it really isn't. It's really mm-hmm. East Texas. They call it the Arklatex. Really? Because it touches Arkansas and the Texas. Arklatex. The Arklatex. Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas. Texas, yeah. It's more like uh, East. That's, that's like D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Yep. But it's... All on the Woodrow Wilson Bridge. But it's not like D.C., Maryland, Virginia. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like the Arklatex. Like the Arklatex. <laughs> the Arklatex. But a lot I of think places, I remember that. Back, back in the day, used to be in houses, and especially black stations, houses, trailers, out in the middle of fields somewhere. And that one in uh, Shreveport was in a house. And uh, when I got there, the stage studio was in a big window in a house. And when I got there, I had to let the afternoon drive person go, which was somebody's wife, and he was mad. So at night, if you sat in that window in the studio, they could see you from outside. But you couldn't see them. Right. So they could just take a shot at you. Every day, I was worried about somebody shooting me through the window because I fired in life. Wow. My station was in a house out in a swamp. Mm. So I'm sorry, I got off track. What was your question? No, no. This is an answer, man. You were asking about the challenge. So some of the challenges were like a lot of times going into new stations and 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 what it did, what it took to turn them around, because you always encountered something different, you know, in those yeah. in those cases. Most of the time, then when they called me in, they had just messed up everything mm-hmm. and they they needed help. And it they didn't take long to fix it. It, it just it. Yeah, it was a fixer. It didn't take long to, to fix it. It was just them being willing to to let me do it. And mm-hmm. by the time they called me, you know, I was like their call of last resort. And then, you know, we, it, we fixed it. But in the course of fixing it, you have to displace people. And that was always hard. It's never easy to take food out of somebody's, you know, off somebody's plate. Mm-hmm. You try to try to hold on to as many people as you can, but sometimes you can't because it just doesn't work. Yeah. So that, that was always a challenge. And, you know, uh, that was, yeah, those are some of the biggest challenges, just those two things, just, mm. just, you know, displacing people and then the drama that comes, comes with displacing mm. people. And then the, you got to build trust, you know, and you, you got to bring your own team in and, you know, all of those, all the things you got to do to put together a winning station. Oh, what would you say has been your biggest regret? Oh, that's a good question. 
Because, you know, I almost quit twice. I did. Really? Yes. The first time I I was just, I just, I had been trying. My goal from the beginning was, you asked me who my mentors were. So my first mentor was a guy named Steve Harris. Then the the, uh, second mentor was a guy named, actually my first mentor was a guy named Ernest L. James. And then the second mentor was a guy named Steve Harris. Then, then Barry May. What did they do? Ernest L. James did what? Ernest L. James was the general manager of a station in Chicago called WGCI. And I had read about him in uh, right after I got fired the first time. I had read about him in Black Radio Exclusive Magazine, and I had read that he had, he he was a high school dropout. Hmm. Because at that time he's running, GCI was his biggest station in Chicago. He was a high school dropout. He went in the Army or Air Force. He got his GED. He got his undergraduate degree, and then he got his master's from Pepperdine. Hmm. And I was inspired by that as I, I was in college at the time and um and and I had just gotten fired so I was so I was thinking well he he overcame that and look at what he's doing I can overcome this too and right around that time I got a call I had been sending out my air checks I got a call from a guy at Los Angeles at KG, KGFJ named JB Stone and mm-hmm. uh, I talked to him on the phone about getting a job in Los Angeles but I think he sensed that I was a little too green to come out to LA and he did me a favor and did not hire me. You ain't ready for this. You ain't ready for this. Ready for this. So uh, Ernest hired Barry Mayo and Steve Harris. Mm-hmm. And then the next mentor I had was the guy I listened to when I was growing up, Charlie Chuck. He worked at the radio station that I built. He became the general manager. So he was a great mentor. And then I worked with uh, Ernest. Then I got a chance to work with Ernest. And I got a chance to work with Steve. And I got a chance to work with Barry. So my goal was to get to Chicago and program a station to number one in Chicago. That was my goal. So I went through all of these stations. I was down. First time I was down. Before V103? Yeah, this is before V103. I was, because I went from Toledo to Cincinnati, to Greenville, South Carolina, to Shreveport, to Chicago. Then I got fired. Then I went to Richmond, Cleveland. Then I went to Atlanta, Pensacola, back to Chicago, and then to uh, XM, and then New York, and then to Nashville and back to Washington. So that was like 10, the road, less travel. Lots of movement in that career. And to that end, I want to ask you this. What would you say was uh, a time in your career? Because in in all leadership, there's failure. Like, you can't be a success until you fail. Right. What was was that for you? Well, I mean, like, I got fired. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not necessarily because you failed every time. No, but I, you know. The first time I got fired, it was my fault. The first time I was uh, just 
not doing what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, first of all, I wasn't good as I thought I was. <laughs> Found that out pretty quickly. And then the second time I just was not, I mean, the first, and then I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. I got caught up in my own little ego. So that was my fault. They should have fired me. So let me ask you this. What what are some things, some aspects of, you know, working in radio and media and all of the things that you think people would find most surprising, like they wouldn't expect? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Well, it's uh, I don't know what people I don't know what people's perception of radio is. Uh, you know, people get into radio for various reasons. Some people just want to be on the air, want people to hear them. Some people do it because they like music and they think that they can just get on the air, play whatever they want. Nope, that's not happening. Uh, It happened back in the 70s, but it's 2022 now. Everything is is digital. Uh, It's very structured now. It's very, uh, I mean, personality radio is trying to come back if on the stations where they give them a chance to be personalities. But uh, for the most part, most markets are uh, just, it's not what it used to be. I mean, do you know who the jocks are on, on these stations here in DC? I only know Donnie Simpson. There you go. I mean, that is. Uh, I know Russ Parr because, you know, we're here. Been around for a while. Yeah. But I know. It's, I mean, it's, people have so many I, options. And now. Michelle, right? Only because I know her personally. Yeah. And well. she's been around for a while. But the new Angela people. Stribling, I know. I know. Them. It turns out I do know them. But they, there you know, a few of them. But that's from Justina back Gray, the Gray, she's gone. Yeah, she's. Harold, she, Harold Fisher. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, those, they've been around 20, 20, 30 years. But how that's many? All, that's the reason I know them because they came along before radio became this, this, this new week. Yeah, I, I don't know any of the new people, but that's because radio's not, because I'm 64. Mm-hmm. Radio's not talking to me anymore. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the, Nielsen only rates people basically 25 to 54, maybe up to 65, but not really. Listen, we got to wrap it up, Mag. Okay. I, I, I just want to say thank you so much. Hey, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Max. Thank you again. You've been listening to Cracking the CEO Code with Nikki Moore. For more information, visit justdigital.solutions or dcradio.gov slash programming slash cracking the CEO code.